Hi there, this is Matt Wakeling, and you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. This is the show I produce in Sydney, Australia, where I get to sit down with leading guitarists and guitar figures from all around the world. This is episode number 113, and thank you so much for joining me. Now today I speak to the wonderful Australian musician Joe Matera, solo artist, singer, songwriter, great guitar player, uh, has done plenty of sideband work as well, but for the last 10 years or so has been building his solo career, particularly in Australia and Europe, where he's uh, built up a, a significant following. You might also know Joe's name as a rock journalist, having written for Rolling Stone, um, Australian Guitar, Guitar World, Total Guitar in the UK, and talking to some of the biggest names in the business, Gary Moore, John Mayer, Slash, you name it, he's uh, probably talked to them over an amazing career. So it was great for me to actually sit down and uh, turn the tables somewhat on Joe and find out all about his career. Let's jump in straight away. Here it is, my conversation with Joe Matera. Joe Matera, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Hey, hello, Matt. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you. Now, you've had um, such an interesting and, and um, rich career as a, as a guitarist, singer, songwriter, uh, journalist, and, and a solo artist now. Um, I'd love to dig back um, into all that stuff. And uh, if we went, if we go back to the very start, what got you interested in guitar and bass? Um, well, music in general. I, my very early uh, memory of music is when I was four years old, and uh, I, uh, I used to listen to a lot of radio. And um, but I remember the first album that I asked my parents to buy me was the Beach Boys. Pet sounds album so that was four years old and that's what i remember vividly wow. walking to a shop and uh and that album i just used to listen to it and, and look my parents being italian they used to also buy a lot of imported uh sort of top 40 uh vinyl records from from italy and i would listen to all these sort of different um you know language you know, italian language pop music and you mm-hmm. know australian stuff and whatever was on the radio or the radio was always on in my house and uh so you know i had a love of music and uh yeah, and, that, and from there, obviously, led me to, um, you know, playing the guitar. But uh, my very first instrument, this is going to probably uh, surprise you, was the piano accordion when I was about seven years old. Oh, awesome, man. <laughs> so great. it's a sort of a typical uh, Italian instrument you pick up. But, uh, you know, yeah. I had sort of um, tried to fiddle around, teach myself. I wasn't very successful with it. But, uh, you know, I just like like learning stuff by myself and then I got a little sort of a, a drum kit and I sort of banged away on it but uh, you know, it wasn't until I was about 15 when I actually got a real guitar and then started learning on that. Okay, very cool. That's a pretty good heritage though, uh, Beach Boys plus yep. your um, plus your parents from Italy. So did they immigrate here? Uh, yes, they did. So um, they came out here a year before I was born so okay. I'm the first generation. Oh wow, there you go. There you go. So, yeah, I mean, that all ties in the accordion. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it does. And, and, you know, my love of, um, you know, I like, I like all styles of music. So that comes from that sort of background. Um, you know, it's not just rock. You know, I've listened and then I've played all sorts of styles of music. So that's all part of, uh, I think, making you a well-rounded musician. Sure, sure. So when you get to the guitar at age 15, what, what kind of mm-hmm. stuff are you listening to and aspiring oh, to? Yeah, I was listening to, uh, well, basically... Uh, when I wanted to pick up the guitar, I was around about 10 years old, right? And I was watching Countdown, and I'll never forget the uh, episode. So it was Hush, and they were playing, um, they had a big hit with Boney Maroney. And I remember 
seen their their performance. It was sort of out of this world, you know, like uh, you know pyrotechnics and you know Les Gock doing all sorts of uh, stage moves. I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. So um, you know, I started taking more note of guitar players. But it wasn't until I was 15 that uh, you know, I, I got my first guitar, and and uh, by then I was listening to you know rock music, up the star, you know the top 40 stuff, a lot of guitar stuff, you know. Um, it's, it's, I'm just trying to remember now. You know, I like listen to Blondie. Uh, so it's, it's, again, it's the sort of variety of music that was on the radio. Um, and I was buying vinyl records, obviously, and other police and that sort of stuff. So, um, so when I got my guitar, which was a, uh, a, a less poor copy, I remember, uh, it's sort of a uh, sort of a maroon colour um, guitar, and I just picked that up and uh, yeah, got myself a little amp and. I just started, uh, I, I bought a, a book called, um, actually, I think I still got it here. I'm just going to pull it out. Which is nice. It is um, It is called the How Leonard Unlimited Audio Visual Guitar Course. And I remember buying, it was just a, it's a book with a cassette and taught you how to read music and play some simple tunes of its day. And I, I went through the whole course and I taught myself reading music that way, you know, for about three months. And then I just sort of started uh, listening to vinyl records. And uh, a friend of mine came around one night who was older than me, was playing the band, and me just picking up guitar was very inquisitive about, you know, the whole process. So he sat me down and showed me a couple of bar chords and told me how important they were. And uh, from that, I never looked back. I basically got myself a, um, you know, a 100 songs to play, you know, simple chords with. And uh, I learnt myself that way. And then started slowing down the vinyl records and learned some solos and here I am. That, that, that was my path to uh, learning guitar. And I have to add also, uh, I started buying uh, Guitar World magazine. My very first issue, I remember, because I still got it, September 1981. So it was only, I think it was about like the six, seven issue that oh, came wow. out. Cool. And uh, I read that whole magazine and I learned so much. So I, myself education and guitar was from listening to vinyl records, you know, trying to work out the solo and reading all these guitar magazines and, you know, they'll, they'll explain how things were played. And, I mean, back then there was no tablature. So you had to do things by, by ear, really, and, and just try and sort of work it all out. Um, and I remember a section in Guitar World they had, it was called Trading Licks. And all I remember is they would have, like, a guitar solo and it was sort of written in standard notation. And... Um, and I would try and sort of work it all out and listen to it, and that helped me. And, and then I think a few months later, back in black, uh, the sheet music for that was the very first, I think, tablature music that came out, okay, and I just saw wow. it, and I thought, wow. And I bought it, and I thought, wow, this is a new system of learning guitar. And so that helped me a lot. But, you know, tablature didn't take off to about three or four years later. By then, I had already, you know, learned a lot of my stuff. So, so that, was my, um, that was my early days of playing guitar. Very cool, very cool. So oh, you're obviously very self-disciplined and developed your ear, you know, getting across this stuff without, yeah, without a lot of aids, like like all of us back then. Um, no internet either. It's funny saying that these days, like for people of my generation, and mm -hmm. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm close to your age, I think. I'm probably just a couple years behind, but um, yeah, it's, it's such a common story. On this podcast, too, so many players say... Um, yeah, I worked it out by ear pre-internet, and for us it's normal. But for a younger generation, it's uh, it's very odd not just to bust out a, a YouTube clip or something. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, something. and I mean, I mean, that, what's available today is incredible. I mean, you can learn so fast, but at the same time, 
I mean, I've checked some of those videos out, and you know, the way that people play things, it's sometimes confusing. You know, like if, if you're if you're learning the guitar for the first time, and you and you watch a couple of these videos, you'll get a bit confused as to saying, well, who's playing it right? Well, you know, I mean, I have a lot of guitar students, and they have trouble. They say to me, oh, we watch this video, and he plays like this, and I look at, at what they you know been shown, and I say to them, well, you know that's not the correct way to play it. I mean, he's probably hearing it that way. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's good in one sense, but it's also bad because uh, you're not relying on your own ear and your own and your confidence. I mean, that's what the whole thing is about, is building your confidence up. So, I mean, back then, you didn't have any, like, you know, videos really that you could observe or YouTube yeah, 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 where you yeah. could check what you were doing. You just listened to it. So, and the only way then would be someone else, you know, another fellow musician you, you jam with will play something, you go, oh, he's playing it how I do it. Or you, or you might play it slightly different, yeah, and you go, well, yeah. why are you playing it that way? But you play it, and you go, well, it's, it's the same notes, but you're playing it in this position. And that's how you sort of develop your own style. So, um, yeah, it's really good. Look, I've always appreciated having that sort of background, and, you know, I try and instill that in my own students. I say to them, you know, look, trust your ear. Don't rely often on tablature, you know. Don't rely on YouTube. Use it as a guide, you know, help you, but, you know, trust yourself. Very cool. Yeah, it's a very it's a very good um, way forward. And you end up finding your own way into stuff as well, which I reckon is not such a bad way. Um, so let, so it's the early 80s. You've, yep. You've discovered the Back in Black book, which is pretty yep. awesome. Yeah. Which is pretty great. Um, were you playing in bands or when, when did no, you No, I didn't play in bands until a bit later. I, um, I didn't play in... My very first band was in the late 80s, actually. So I was in already my... Uh, what is it? 20s so I was sort of very shy and and you know it was very hard you know, in a small country town to actually um you know know any other musicians that you know were interested in forming bands so you know I just plodded along by myself until I'd moved out into a bigger sort of a, 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 a like a, a rural city and that's when I started sort of meeting out and just sort of going well you know what I've got to do this I need to go out so I met a couple of other musicians and you know we just sort of jammed together and you know early band sort of stuff and uh, that's how it all happened and from there I just moved on forward I'm, I was very ambitious back then still am and uh, you know like sort of you outgrow certain bands and you know I remember you know one of the early bands the guys just didn't want to go any further than you know say within say 30 kilometers or whatever and I, I go well I want to you know I want to travel all around the place you know I want to do gigs wherever I can and and pay my dues so uh, you know you sort of move on to another place so yeah but um you know, that's, that's, that's what the situation like, was like back then too. Sure. And whereabouts were you? Because I know you're in Victoria now. I was in Kyabram. I was born and bred in Kyabram. And uh, then I, later on I moved to uh, Shepparton. And Shepparton uh, had a pretty good music scene. So that's where I started all the bands. So, Joe, the material you're doing then, are you writing your own stuff? Or are you doing covers? Um, I, or? I, was, I wasn't really consciously sort of planning to do original stuff. I was writing, you know, like I remember my very first song. It was... Uh, uh, I was trying to write sort of, you know, like a little poem. It was very, you know, grade six style thing. But, you know, I, I did, you know, strum around and write, you know, words which I thought were lyrics. Um, but I remember once I moved to Shepparton, I, I, I went to a, uh, somebody was having like a songwriter course, you know, and at night. So I did a couple of those lessons. And what I found from that was um, one thing the guy said to me was, um, you know, like how songs are written with a verse, chorus and, and uh, he mentioned, well, you know, there's a certain formula, and I and I started questioning. I thought, well, you know, there's songs where there's no formula, like you know, the the um, uh, 
there's no verse really, there's no chorus, it's just the same line over and over again. So how can you say there's a formula? So then I thought, well, you know what, songwriting is really something that each person's, uh, you know, approach is different. So yes, you know, there is a how we have a verse and a chorus and that's the sort of standard thing, but you can always go beyond that and say, well, you know, I want to write this sort of line and repeat it, you know. Um, classic example is... um. Uh, I'm trying to think, uh, what's his name? Warren Zevon, you know, the Werewolves of London. I mean, if you listen to that song, it's the same chord progression over and over and over again. Yeah, and, yeah. and even though it's got a, a you know, the chorus that goes um, Werewolves of London, it's the same thing. You know, it's sort of the same melody. So it really breaks the, the whole sort of rule of, um, you know, come in with an intro, come in with a verse. Um, I mean, look at the Beatles. They break their own rules, you know? I mean, uh, oh, she yeah, loves you, yeah, yeah, starts with a chorus. I mean, you're supposed to start with an intro and a verse, then you get the chorus, supposedly. But they, you know, they turned it all over. So, I mean, that was good. I learned a lot from that. But then I, you know, I realized, well, you know what? I'm going to just song, I'm going to do my own songwriting. And then I, I would listen to a lot of songs and, and observe their structure and learn from that. Great, great, man. Yeah. Again, finding your own, your own yeah. way through. Yeah, I've been very individualistic in my my approach. I think that's one of the things that uh, why in my early years I went for a lot of different bands because um, I was never one to sort of uh, do exactly what you know. Like for example, say learn a guitar solo, and, and and most most musicians will learn it exactly note for note, which is great. You know, I love that. You know, but uh, I would always add my little twist to it. You know, like uh, um, obviously there's certain solos where you can't really change it because, you know, it will take away from the uh, the song itself, you know, iconic solos, you know, but 95% of the time I would play it, but I would play it my own little way, you know, add a little note here, miss a little note there, but it doesn't matter because it made my own way of approaching a, a solo. So that's, I've always been in that sense very individualistic and I think that, you know, that that, that works for me, but sometimes doesn't work for others. <laughs> sure, sure. So did you end up... Um... Did you, did you end up doing any like formal kind of study in terms of music? Um, no, the only formal study I did was I taught. I did a my own. I went. I what was it. What's it called? Um, the Australian Music Guild of um, Music. I bought these theory books and I went through the whole theory course. It was about four years, and okay, I wow. um, just sort of you know studied it myself and put myself through the. Uh, the exams and I did about I think it was about uh, I got it to grade six level so I think I need another two more before I would have graduated with a diploma in music theory but I just gave up in the end I thought well, you know I've learned enough theory I don't know really what I want to do with this you know it's 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 useful it helps me understand music but uh you know it's and look it's been very beneficial in 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 my in my career um especially like you know with students all that sort of stuff but practical wise um you know it doesn't make you a better musician at all you know it, it just gives you knowledge to understand music so if i'm working at a guitar solo by ear knowing the theory of say okay he's playing the key of a major i quickly use my theory and that helps me get to the you know work at the solo a lot quicker than somebody who is just trying to sort of you know work around find the notes on the fretboard and whatever you know it might take him say two hours it might take me five minutes because i already know the theory i'm going okay a major, these are the notes, A major can only be this. I know my pentatonic scales, blah, blah, blah. Sure. So it does help you in that sense, you know, but that's the only type of um, formal education I've had, you know. Yeah. And I, from speaking to you, I gather um, you got what you needed out of it. It seemed like... Um, oh, absolutely, yeah. It was yeah, more absolutely. of a functional I mean, than a, an academic yeah. goal. 
Oh yeah, love it. I, I, I still love it today. You know, like even um, you know, if I'm working out something or even my songwriting, you know, uh, it, it it comes in handy. So you know, I did get a lot from it. Yeah, sure. It's interesting you mentioned Guitar World earlier mm-hmm. because uh, mm-hmm. you've had a very uh, full career as a journalist as well. Yep. Um, how did that come about? Was that um, a It's actually interesting. Or? It sort of just fell about. I've been yeah. on, look, I, I'm very computer savvy and um, I got my, uh, I was on the internet from about 1994 oh, in, wow. in regards to... Uh, um, you know, been online sort of thing. So I, um, you know, was always inquisitive about, you know, guitar magazines and, and interviews and I just fell into it basically. Um, I think uh, what it was, was I, I think I might have, uh, one of my early interviews was with some songwriter and uh, I um, I started asking a few questions and he was, you know, gracious in, in answering my questions. I thought, this is really cool, you know, like uh, I'll, you know, I might try another one. So I, you know, went from there, and then eventually, uh, I landed in, um, you know, Australian Guitar Magazine. You know, like one of my interviews, and uh, from Australian Guitar, I just got, well, you know, this is good. You know, and then the record company started hearing about what I did, and I started getting offered all these interviews, and it just, you know, went from there. And being ambitious, I thought, well, you know, I've got Australian Guitar. It's about time I start. Um, aiming for the the big market, you know, like Guitar World, you know, one magazine of, uh, you know, since as I mentioned earlier, my very first guitar magazine. So, uh, and when I finally got articles in Guitar World, I was blown away by it. <laughs> so that's how it all happened. Sort of fell into place, yeah. And I've always, look, I've always loved writing. I love writing, and uh, you know, just in general, really, whether it's just writing stories or interviews or songwriters like writing. So. One of my strong points at school was uh, the English language, so yeah, just fell into it. That's excellent. I um I remember when you started writing for um, Australian Guitar because I was buying that magazine. I was mm-hmm. an avid guitar magazine buyer as well, and yep. um, yeah, there's been some great great writers who who have gone through there. But I did that period when you came on board and a few other guys. I think um I think the magazine really picked up, and there was some some great stuff. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was it. It was a great period. Look, back then, um, it was some really great. I mean, I was really uh, blown away by some of the other writers. You know, you know, these some of the guys that I would look up to as you know when I was reading the magazines as a younger and younger person, and uh, to be actually in the same magazine with with them was just you know, well, you know, it's just uh, blown blows you away really. But uh, it was great, you know, and it really picked up uh, the stand. I mean, I was always trying to you know get better and better what i did but you know when it came to interviews i always wanted to ask the questions you know that i would want to ask or some other guitar player wanted to ask so you know i've had a lot of good feedback over the years from people who um you know like yourself read those interviews so i'm you know i'm really sort of for me it's like well that's that that gives me much satisfaction that people learn from it because you know there's nothing worse than just you know asking a question that is meaningless and someone reads the interview and they don't get anything from it I always wanted to make sure that the reader got something up from it and found out more about their favourite guitar player and how they did things. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, you, you also wrote for Rolling Stone as well. We should we should note, which is a, a great feather in in your cap. Oh, um, absolutely, yeah, yeah. That was great. I did a a big story on Jeff Martin from the Tea Party. That was a pretty much an exclusive thing. So uh, I was pretty wrapped in that to finally see my name in Rolling Stone. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and um, I, th- uh, I I did total guitar um, in the UK. I wrote something oh, about okay. oh, about oh, I think it was about five, six, seven years. I think it was something like yeah. that. But one of my biggest coup there was um, remember the band? Well, they're still around. Moose. Um, 
um, Muse, and uh, it was I think it was 2004, and they were one of the hardest bands to get access to okay. um, from a journalist. And I managed to get access to them, and I not only did I manage to get access to them, but I got a cover story, international cover story, and so they were on the cover. And uh, I think one of my interview my interview was one of the first that revealed so much about um, Matt Bellany's. Yeah, um, wow. Um, guitar rig, so yeah. I was pretty wrapped by that. I mean, there's, and Metallica is another one. I did when Metallica were making the um, uh, what was it? The uh, I call it the Trash Can album. Um, what was it? The um, in 2001 with um, Bob Rock. What was that one? Um, I'm trying to remember now. Oh. Yes, that one. Yes, yeah. um, I got a, an exclusive with Bob Rock himself in the studio. This is wow. like really in the early days, and. Uh, I, and I, I, it was an exclusive story, so I, you know, Guitar World ran it, you know, as um as um coming up, Metallica got a new album in the can, and this is it. And to see it in the actual news page of Guitar World was like, you know, wow, you know, this is great. So I did a lot of stuff with Guitar World. I did a lot of um, Inquirer articles from, which was um you know pretty cool. Total Guitar did so many features. I did a, I think I did something like about three, four interviews per issue, which was a lot back then. Yeah, um, definitely. And uh, Australian Guitar usually had about you know two or three interviews each issue. Um, I also you know, started working for like Classic Rock magazine, you know, so that was sort of going out of side of the uh, guitar realm and into sure. more of a generalisation Asian of like rock music. But uh, it was great fun, man. It was um, you know lots of great memories there, lots of great people I've met. You know, some of them became great friends with me, which is cool, mm -hmm. and many secrets revealed. You know, <laughs> that's awesome. And so you're you're freelancing though, doing all this stuff, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, freelance. So basically, yeah. um, yeah, I just uh, they would sort of employ me on the, you know, as a as a as a writer, and uh, you know, get the interviews. And by then, because I had established myself, yeah, right. I didn't need to chase anything. I had record companies chasing me, really, which is really cool because that's the stage you want to get to. I mean, it took me a long time. I mean, uh, it's a lonely uh, life to be a, a writer because all you're doing is basically, um, you know, interviewing, going home, transcribing it, writing it all out, sending it all out on deadline. You're on deadline all the time, you know. Yeah. And by the time you finish that article, you got another another interview coming through. So I think at one point I was doing anywhere, I, uh, look, about an interview per day for about for about two years. Okay. That's how busy it was. Wow. That's wow. a lot of interviews, you know. So. Um, uh, and yeah, you know, I mean, I remember one day I did three interviews in a day. It was a, like a phone call in the morning, early morning, about five a.m. Um, with with an artist from the states. Then I went into uh, I think Sony Records in Melbourne for eleven o'clock uh, interview, and then an afternoon one at Warner's, um, and then go back home, and then basically uh, you know write it all up and transcribe it. So uh, it's pretty busy. That's full on, man. The um... That's amazing. I was going to ask how you ended up accessing so many big names, but I guess, as you said, as you got established. Um... Yeah, yeah. Um, once you get established, and look, I started getting, you know, the thing is you, you develop a rapport with these with these artists and, and trust, you know, and, and once they see you're not going to go out. And, I mean, I would never uh, write up or reveal anything that was inappropriate or anything that wasn't supposed to be in the magazine um, and I would respect that and the artists would what they do is they basically test you out you know if you're going to be one of these writers who are going to just write anything for the sake of a headline well you're not going to you know your chances of getting another interview is uh, you know basically nil really yeah, so sure, sure. I mean I've got stuff on tape that I would never never let anybody listen to mm -hmm. um, but um, that's how you develop trust so 
Um, you know, guys like Slash, for example, you know, stuff he told me. I mean, I would never reveal to anybody because uh, it was in confidence and off the record. So I was privileged to a lot of stuff, you know. But, um, yeah, once you get established and, you know, the record companies know you, they're always going to be chasing you. So, you know, but it takes time. You, you can't just sort of go in there and thinking you're going to, you know, get all these interviews. I mean, you just develop from that, really. Sure. With with this podcast, I've... I've... Yep. I've done about a hundred or so interviews, which is just a fraction of all the stuff that you've done. Um, and mm-hmm. I only bring that up to say, you know, I've met a bunch of people um, I've, I've sort of discovered, but I've also met a lot of heroes from when I was growing up and working on stuff. And there's the old expression, never meet your heroes. Now, to be oh, honest, yeah. mm-hmm. I haven't met anyone in this context. And again, it's much smaller than yours, but I haven't met anyone um, that I didn't walk away thinking, wow, how great to, to meet them and to talk about their music. And they're just passionate about the guitar or, mm. or music like me. They've, they've just achieved some other standard. So I don't know. Have you, have you got any any thoughts on that, on that mantra? Um, no, you're true. I've met a lot of my heroes too. And um, that, that is right. I used to always get nervous, meet my heroes because they're heroes, you know, and what they're going to be like. But I've never had any bad experiences. Okay. I mean, there's a couple of yeah. little, uh, you know, ones that I, I rather not mention. Um, oh, sure. <laughs> but uh, they'll be revealed in a book, which I'll tell you about later anyway. So, oh, but, um, okay. yeah, so, but um, most of them been pretty cool, mate. You know, and look, yeah. the thing is about when you interview, and as you would know yourself with an artist, they're always going to be um, nicer to you because, you know, they're, they're promoting a product. They're promoting yeah, their new album. Sure. Yep, so yep. you know the ones. Look, I, I got to the stage where I knew the ones that were sort of basically doing a script, you know, and yeah, the ones that okay. were really genuine with you, you know, yeah. like, um, uh, and so, you know, I, w- I would know straight away, well, I know what you, you're just telling me what you want me to know, but I can figure this out. You, there's more to this story. And I would I would basically research it and find out, you know, that, that's the thing about, doing journalism, you've got to be able to research. And I think what's lacking today's journalism is, is a lack of research or double-checking of facts, you know. Mm-hmm. I would never put any interview out without double-checking, you know. Like, mm-hmm. once I've done the transcription, I would listen to it again. <clears throat> I would check the words, you know, and then I would check the information. I mean, sometimes artists have told me stuff that was completely wrong, you know, because it's just memory, you know, like they'll say something, oh, I recorded this in 1975. Yeah. I would go back and go, uh, you know, after I've done the interview, no, you haven't. This is recorded in 1978, for example. So I would fix it. You know, I was make, and I, I never forget some of the artists would say to me, gee, you make me sound really, really intelligent. And I go, well, what did I do? And they said, oh, just the way interviews come across. Well, I say to them, well, you guys are really intelligent. Anyway, you, you talk to me. But they say, oh, yeah, but usually how we speak isn't sometimes how it comes out in interviews. And what I would do is I'll just make it, you know, you got to fix the... The, the English language, you got to make sure that it's, you know, it's, it's, um, it reads well. You can't just write something like and um and um because, you know, we all we all do that. Like I'm doing that now with you. But sure. when you read an interview, I mean, it's the last thing you want to read is to go someone saying, well, this book was um and uh, I wrote this and um. I mean, you'll get bored and you lose, you know, you lose your your reader. So I will clean that all up and just make it in a coherent sentence. And obviously that you know that helps them a lot too. So yeah, sure. Yeah, it's funny, some, some lazily edited interviews in any field, not just music, are um, oh, yeah, always yeah. hard to read, aren't they? Oh, they are, absolutely, yeah. And, and you know, you wonder sometimes, people use spell check, but um, I reckon sometimes spell check isn't right itself anyway, because uh, I read some in- interviews sometimes going, what the hell is this? You know, like, uh, <laughs> that's not right, you know. Or, or even they say something, I mean, if there's some word I wasn't sure of, yeah. I would research, and if I couldn't find that word, I would somehow try and f- 
find another way of, of finding what the person said. If I can't, I would just basically leave it out because I thought, well, I don't know what he means by this because sometimes I'm, I was I was using cassettes back then, you know, okay. and um, sometimes you hear something and it doesn't sound right and it could, you know, it could mean something totally different. So imagine if you wrote that mm. and and it came across as something totally different. So I was always very aware of and mindful of um, making sure I, I wrote and expressed exactly what the artist was trying to say and, and get across rather than trying to think, oh, I think he said this, I'll just put this in. You know? Sure, so, sure. Because I've actually seen re- interviews where the writer, you can tell, has just stuck in a few words himself and, and you go, well, I'm sure he didn't mean to say this. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, are there any unusual or um, strange occurrences in interviewing? Anything um, you could share? <clears throat> Let's have a look. Um, oh, strange. Well, I can tell you some like, like, some memories. Is um, Or Nickelback. I, I was there. I was one of the very first journalists to interview Nickelback in 2001 before anybody actually... Um, I mean, they were just starting to break. They weren't, you know, innocent big. They did a gig at the Mercury Lounge in uh, Melbourne. And uh, so I interviewed them then, and about, like, oh, about six weeks later, they were huge, you know. So they came back out again into Australia and did another tour. And I did the, I think I I followed their career for about four years. So I interviewed them each successive tour and each successive um, album, which is fantastic, and just watching them develop and and how the you know the audience grew was just amazing. John Mayer, I was the first journalist to 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 do an interview with him for a UK magazine in Total Guitar, wow. and uh, I never forget the night my wife and I went to see him when he was first out in Australia. No one had heard of him. I had hardly had heard of him. He just had released um, Room. Uh, was it, um, oh, room, room for squares. Yeah, room for squares. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, so went to see him. The record companies, you know, you know, it was sort of um, you know meet and greet the the journos. Yeah. There was about ten of us. All right, that's all there was. No one was interested. Everyone was just off drinking um, their free beer and that sort of stuff. And my wife and I just watched him, and he was just you know getting no attention. So he played. I think he played the, all the songs from that album. And then the very last song was Lenny, um, a cover of Stevie Ray Vaughan's track. Oh, yeah. And that was a moment it changed. All of a sudden, all the journos came out from where they were and they just watched him. And he performed that. And I knew straight away then this guy is going to be like massive. And, and that got their attention and it just changed the whole vibe. And then, you know, about six months later, he was breaking everywhere, you know, like he was massive. So... I did every interview with him up to about 2006, and wow. he remembered me. He was really cool, and he yeah, yeah. he would basically tell me, and uh, he would always enjoyed talking to me about guitars. He said, "You know, you 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 come across as being very passionate about guitar playing." I said, oh, "I am," you know, and he said, I "Really enjoy talking to you." So he would always make an effort when he came to Australia to tell a record company, "I want to talk to uh, Joe Matera." So it was like, you know. Um, you know, how can you say it was just it was an honour, really, you know, to be actually, uh, you know, have such a great um, relationship with him. So, they're, they're two of my main sort of memories from it. Um, and some weird, mm, uh, that would go from your memories. So much happened. Uh, oh, um, 
Might have to go back to a bit later, Matt. I think yeah, I just no, can't no, remember it. So, I, I guess yeah. I just mean memorable. That's probably a better word. Um, yeah. That I should have used. But yeah, that's that's awesome, man. I remember when Maya first came out because he was on one of the. Um, I reckon it's about the same tour you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. He was doing a, like a morning TV show. That's right. Yep. Um, it might have been Carrie Ann Kennelly or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, it was him and a, his bass player. He's who was a long term band guy. I can't remember the name, but um, and he was just on acoustic. And I wrote his name down. I never do this. I never do this at all. But I thought, man, this guy's amazing. Who is this? John May. I wrote it down, bought the album. And, yep. um, and yeah, then it just it just broke, um, which, which yeah, you're on the edge of. So that's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. So that was really great. Um, I have to mention one of the probably the most biggest interviews and most important interviews I ever did was with Sir George Martin, the great, late, great oh, fifth wow, leader. man. I had no idea now, about that. That was, um, I've got photos with him, and I tell you, that, that is some memorable uh, interview because I remember, um, first of all, they put out a word about people that are interested in interviews, and I thought, oh, I'll do this, you know, I'll, I'll put my name forward, that sort of stuff. And, and then they basically uh, I think shortlisted down to about 40 journalists, and then from that 40 journalists, they basically short shortlisted down to about 10, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget this email from his publisher saying, George, so George Martin has picked you to um, interview him. And oh, I go, what wow. the hell? You know? wow. So, um, <laughs> so be there in about a week at, um, the Windsor, it was at the Windsor Hotel in Melbourne. And I was going, wow, what do I ask a man who's probably been asked every single question known about yeah. the Beatles? So I spent a whole week researching on my little computer I had. I had like a... Uh, one of those early model computers, and uh, I tried to come up with any questions that I could that were totally different to it, had never been asked before. And I did, and I eventually came through with a lot of great questions. I hope they were great anyway, but um, I remember the day came and I was, you know, ushered into his room. I was so nervous because, I mean, this is rock roll to hear. Yeah, yeah. And um, it was, he was so accommodating. I met his wife, Lady Martin, and we sat down and, you know, he just started opening up to me and, you know, he told me things about, like, you know, about John Lennon and about the recording the White Album and, and just really great, great stories, you know. And, and one of the things I remember was I asked him, who was your favourite guitar player? And he said to me, Jeff Beck. Now, how's that? You know, like, he actually, he picked Jeff Beck and I thought, wow, you know. So that's one of the things I remember from the interview and uh, yeah. it was great, you know. It was absolutely, absolutely fantastic to get an insight into that, um, world, you know, considering I was, you know, sort of my previous generation, but to interview someone from that period is just yeah. you know, enormous. So, yeah, that's one of my probably most memorable um, interviews I ever did. Man, that's brilliant. That's so good. Now, you're, you're still writing now, but probably around, I don't know, 2010, 2011, um, it seemed like that phase of your life slowed down as... Um, your own career, your own solo career, became more prominent. Was that a um, a conscious decision to to be there? Yeah, way? look, I, I don't actually write anymore. I mean, I'm just, I do the occasional article. Um, yep. I still, you know, I, but what I do now is I just pick and choose what I want. That's more sure, of interest to sure. me. Um, my main my main focus now is my own solo career. But yeah, look, I um I uh, I went solo. What, what happened there was uh, I released a instrumental track. Um, called Face Off and what happened was uh, I released that and that had uh, uh, my friend Tony Dolan from the metal band Venom Inc 
um, plane on based on that one. And uh, anyway, so what happened was I got this email from this guy in Austria who ran a record label, and he said to me, um, "Oh, I want to buy this track." And I go, "Oh, okay." So he he, he bought the track, and um, he said to me, "Oh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Tony's work, but I really love your stuff. Have, you know, have you got any other material?" And I go. I thought, oh, yeah, I'm working on a couple other tracks. He said, can I hear them? I go, okay. So I sent him a few tracks, and he goes, man, this is really good. How would you like me to release it? And I, and I thought, release what? You know, he goes, oh, release. I've got, this, I've got this record label. So me always, you know, trying to think, well, what's going on here? You know, guys, a record label. So I sussed him out, and, this was, and, I, and I, you know, I found out he actually had been around for about, uh, by then, was about 15 years, releasing stuff in Europe, you know, just a small label. Um a lot of metal stuff, and I said to him, "Well, I'm not really metal." And he says, "Yeah, but I'm trying to branch out into rock stuff, you know. And your your rock instrumentals are, are really cool. So can you put together a, an EP, and I'll release it as your first release." So that's what happened, you know. And then from that, it led me to um to my next album, which I I wrote a song called "Fallen Angel." It was my very first um, vocal song I recorded. I actually. Uh, Oh, look, I in, in my previous bands, I used to always maybe do occasional song I would sing, but I was totally shy and I would always hide behind my guitar and that's why, you know, lead guitar and rhythm guitar was what I sort of excelled at. But um, sure. everyone used to say to me, my wife was the one that kept pushing me on this, she said, you need to sing more, right? So I thought, you know what, I've got this song I wrote, which I wrote in 15 minutes, by the way, one of those sort of magical moments where you go, how did this song happen? And um, so I wrote... I recorded that, put that on the album, and that basically opened up doors for me all over Europe because it got played on BBC and, and all sorts of places. So I ended up going on my first European tour. And uh, and since then, I've never looked back. I've gone to Europe now six times, and um, and I've released, uh, was it, four albums and two EPs. So I'm about to release my seventh. Um, so there's a lot of recordings, and, and, you know, it's all vocal material now, so I've left all the in- instrumental stuff behind um but yeah that's what happened that's the phase of my life where i went from being um behind the pen to being in front of the pen they say yeah yeah very cool now that label in europe is that war that's right war productions in australia same label all the way through that's awesome yeah 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 so well i've been with them up to 2015 and then 2016 i signed with a a new label, and what happened, that's, that's an interesting story in itself. So I was with, um, I was on my tour, the Loudoun Words tour in 2015, and I was on this radio show in um, in uh, Netherlands, and, uh, and I, I did a live performance of a couple of my songs, and uh, and then later on, I get this, this uh, email from this record label there, and the guy says, I just heard you play on, um, on the radio, I really love your stuff, you know, and... Uh, you know, anything else that you've got that's new, he says, I wouldn't mind signing you to my label. And I'm going, wow. So in the end, I signed with him. And um, the first release was um, what he wanted to do was um, to, do, to introduce me to a, a wider audience, um, do a compilation album. So it was like the best of Joe Matera up to that time. So he released that. And then I basically um, released uh, a new EP in 2017 through them called um, Heart of Stone. And um, yeah, and since then I've been with that label and, I also do my uh, my my releases in Australia are through my own label, but um, overseas it's they're through uh, they're through RVP Records. That's great, man. That's so good. So you've you've mentioned you've toured Europe six times. I think the most mm-hmm. recent was only a couple of months ago. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. Are you um, 
are you using musicians over there or are you doing solo shows? How do you? Um, well, I, on my very first tour in 2012, I did uh, use musicians just like a, 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 an English band, but uh, it didn't work out. I, I found that it's too much hassle, mate, too much drama. So in the end, I decided to uh, just do Earth and Solo. So basically now I'll go over just with my acoustic guitar and I just perform like I do locally, just sing my songs, because all my songs have always been written on acoustic guitar. I've never written anything on electric guitar. Even my instrumentals by, um, you know, people surprise people to hear that, and they go, really? Yeah, yeah wow. And I go, well, because I, I, so the thing with acoustic guitar is I can take it anywhere, I can play it anywhere, I don't need to sort of plug in, and I've never been one to sort of, you know, just plug in my guitar and play it loud for the sake of playing loud. I mean, I know when you're young you do that, but I, 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 I like something that's more convenient. I take my acoustic guitar and and it's portable, so I write everything on that. And then, and if I write everything on my acoustic guitar, it's going to stand by itself. So that's why I can go out and play my songs, and uh, they stand on their own without the band. So, um, so yeah, I haven't used a band since 2012. Um, but this new recording I've got coming out um, next month, it, I did this whole new recording in in uh, Sweden, and I just it's it's the first time I've used like a, a backing band, sort of just to give the song a bit more of a um, a different take on things. So I used uh, two local uh, Swedish musicians who are good friends of mine. So um, they play on it, and, yeah, that's that's where I'm at the moment. But when I tour, it's always by myself. I just sort of do solo shows or do a lot of festivals where I'm, you know, on the same lineup with some other musicians too. Yeah, that's, that's great. Well, interesting you say about doing the solo thing because you're – most recent EP, Waiting for the Sun, yep. um, is an all-acoustic EP, and the That's songs right. yep. definitely stand very strongly by themselves. So oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That album's um, that that got me. That EP got me the best reviews of my career. I mean, uh, I got a review in in Goldmine magazine in the US, and it just blew me away. You know, so um, it got me a lot of work, and it got me noticed even further. So, um, and you know, that's anyone who listens to that EP will will hear exactly what I'm like live because I wanted to make an EP where uh, when people hear it and they come and see me, they know it's exactly the same thing. Because, you know, the thing in the past was, because I had bands play on the recordings, um, so when people come and see me, they would think, well, where's the band? You know, there's only you on your guitar. So I thought, well, you know, I want to represent myself in the way that I am now. And and that that's done a great job. So I'll, I'll do the same thing with all my future releases too. But, you know, never say never, mate. You never know what happens, you know, in the future. I could decide to, um, you know, be part of a band, which you're probably going to ask me the next question about that one. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Well, with the um, with the new record, so as you said, you recorded in Sweden. Um, yep. When, when does that come out? Um, September. Um, so okay, next month. I'm cool. just I'm yeah. just finalising everything now. Yep. Yep. And um, yeah, that would be that was my next question. Are you going? <laughs> what's your plans to launch it? Will there be, you know, being more of a band album? Will you? Uh, will that be part of the? No, it's going to be it's just going to be a single, so it's it's called Overload. So it's basically, um, it's going to you know it's going to be a digital release, obviously, and go to radio. Um, as for performing, I'm basically going to be performing it live, just acoustically. Won't need a band because it stands on itself. When you hear it, you'll you'll hear what I mean by it. I mean, the bass and the drums really give it a, a you know a great rock feel, and and it's perfect for uh, you know radio and that sort of stuff, and gives something different to the people but um you know you take away the bass and the drums and the song's still there anyway so um so that's how it's going to be with that one but um yeah and look you know when i was in sweden i actually 
last time I was in Sweden was in 2017, and uh, I, I went on my tour there on one of the festivals I did. There was a band there called Rough Rockers, and um, I got to know the guy, um, the promoter, who was the main member of the band, and uh, he asked me to come up on stage and play a song with him, so I did. And then basically, um, you know, it went really well, and I haven't felt like that in a long time, you know, sort of stuff, to be part of a band. So um, basically... Uh, they asked me to play on the on a track they were recording, so I did that. And then they, from that, led me to um, they, they asked me if I wanted to join the band. And I said, at the outset, I said I don't want to join any new band. I've done with bands. I'm happy with a solo career. But they persisted and persisted. And eventually, about three or four months later, I agreed. You know, on the condition that uh, I could still have a solo career and just have the band as a as a you know like a, another outlet for me with my electric stuff. So okay. yeah. So we made a, we recorded an EP together. It's called um, Smoke and Mirrors. I co-wrote the song with the lead singer and and um, my wife, and uh, that came out um, in April this year. And so I went off to Sweden and made a tour it. But unfortunately, uh, you know, sometimes life deals deals you uh, things that you you know you really don't know sometimes. So I went there and. Um, my partner in the band, and just when things are, you know, taken off, um, he's unfortunately passed away now. So, so that's that's now no longer, uh, you know, uh, a viable option now. So the band's basically done. Um, sure. Because sure. he was the main man, and basically was my partner. So, but we've got this great release that's, you know, we released on red vinyl um, through a Dutch label, and it's already sold pretty good copies actually. And we've got Graham Bonnet from um, Alcatraz, and. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, Rainbow. He he sings on one of the tracks, and uh, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, so if you like, so the, the the vinyl and the CD, the two different versions of the same release. So the vinyl has got the Graham Bonnet track on red vinyl, and the CD's got an, a bonus track where I sing one of the songs. Okay, and um, so half the the release is very rock based, which is sort of when you listen to it, people have said to me, uh, it just sounds like a Joe Matera release, you know, from my band stuff. But when they listen to the other side, it's very much more metal-oriented because mm-hmm. um, the, the lead guitarist is very much from the metal school. So I just play rhythm guitar on that one. But it's a great, great you know recording. And um, so if people like you know really good hard rock and and um, some metal, they need to check it out. So Smoke and Mirrors. Nice, very cool. So Joe, what's the best way for people to keep up with with your stuff? So yeah, obviously your solo career and. Um, basically, Facebook is what I use regularly every day. I'm basically on there every day, and that's where I use my main communication. Um, and they can send me a friend request, and it's it's a personal page, but I use it more for my career because it just gives me more control over you know yeah, sure. people. Um, and 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 also my website, joemitira.com. You can you know sort of find out more about me there. And look, basically, if you put my name in Google. I come up first anyway, so it's not like you can't find me. Because <laughs> a lot of my, what's happened is over the years, because of all my interviews right, that yeah. I did, you know, you put my name in there. I mean, I've found stuff in there I never, I kind of remember I've ever, ever done. And I look at it and I go, yeah, I do remember this now. But uh, it's, it's, I mean, the internet's great for that sort of stuff, you yeah, know. Yeah, um, cool. So, yeah, and there's even like stuff that my fans have sort of um, shown me that I'll go, oh, I can't remember that. You know, I'm like, really? And they've got stuff that I haven't even got, which is cool. Nice man, very cool. One um one last question. You mentioned yep. um you mentioned earlier uh about a book. Are you, is that something Yeah, yeah, look, um it's, 
early days at the moment, but I am writing a, a book. The proposed uh, idea is to uh, release this book in future sometime, but it's just about my experiences with um, you know, being a journalist and there's some great stories, you know, like meeting Lenny, you know, Motorhead and uh, the backstage story. So it's going to be an insight into, you know, the the backstage area, what happens, you know, and what it was like to meet these guys and the stories they told me. And so, yeah, so I, I've had a couple of publishers approach me with this sort of idea and I think, well, you know, it's something it's great to do. I like to share my stories with others and, you know, if people have enjoyed my interviews might get a kick out of sort of this stuff. So I'm just sort of, you know, slowly writing this book. So it'll be in the future sometime. So it's early days at the moment. But, yeah, you're the first to uh, hear about this anyway. Oh, excellent, man. That's so good. That's so good. Well, I'll be first in line as well to buy a copy because um, I've I loved your writing and now discovering oh, you. your music career as well. So, man. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. No, of course. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. It's been fascinating. Oh, it's a pleasure, mate. Thank you for, uh, yeah, for interest and, you know, hopefully um, I can board people today with my stories. Hopefully they get something from it. And, um, yeah, and look, any, everybody who um, is welcome to sort of contact me when I ask questions. Look, I'm always open to, I love getting questions from, I've had a couple over the years from people who write to me and say, oh, um, so-and-so used this guitar. Um, since you interviewed him, do you know if he, you know, was this used on this album? And I'm, you know, if I remember, if I got the information, I'm always happy to answer that sort of people. So um, I'm very accessible. So, but yeah, anything, mate. I um, mean, you know, hopefully they can check out my music and uh, yeah. and like it. And like I said, the earlier stuff's very. Um, uh, if you love Joe Satriani meets Gary Moore, well, my earlier stuff is very much along that vein. Um, I've even got like Rick Brewster from the Angels. He plays on about three tracks. Nice. Um, so, yeah, but my latest stuff is very much sort of, uh, if you like, Brian Adams meets, um, how can I say, Brian Adams meets Neil Young. Um, you're you're going to love what I do then because it's that sort of style. Excellent, excellent. Sounds good. So, yeah, I'll put um, uh, all, the, all the links you mentioned, I'll pop them on our episode page too. But, yeah, if you Google Joe Matera, you're going to find Joe right there, so... Excellent. So, mate, thanks again, and um, oh, thank you so much. All yeah. the best for the uh, yeah. the rest of 2019 and beyond. Okay, thank you so much. All the best with your uh, your podcast, mate, and thank you to to you and all your listeners out there. All right, there you go. My conversation with Joe Matera. I tell you, I love bringing these conversations to the podcast with people who are so passionate about their field and have such a wealth of experience. So hope you really enjoyed that one. Please head over to joematera.com to check out Joe's music, tour links, and plenty more good stuff. Also, while you're on the webs, why not head over to guitarspeakpodcast.com where you can check out all of our previous episodes, links to our social media, uh, how to subscribe to the podcast, how to buy a t-shirt, how to get in touch and say hello. Very cool. All right, I'm out of here. My name's Matt Wakeling. You've been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thanks for joining me, and I'll catch you next time. Bye now.